0: or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit mediaxawards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Madhu Kaneti, he's the founder and CEO at Ice Cream Labs. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I'm extremely fascinated, selfishly, by the space that you guys are are building technology in. But maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure. So uh, firstly, thank you for having me. Your show is exciting. I grew up in uh, in Bangalore in India. Um, okay. I grew up in grew up in a family where I have uh, we were four kids, Okay. and I'm the youngest. Wow. Yeah, so the two interesting things of my childhood was you know dinner table conversation was always about uh, surgery and medicine because my family is filled with doctors. Interesting, and and so early all early in my life I developed a phobia towards. Uh, anything to do with medicine and surgery <laughs> and so I was always looking for how do I get out of this interesting uh, why is yeah, that and, just because
0: you just like one of those things that was it like a physical reaction or you were just like I don't want to go into the family kind of business
1: yeah I think I mean it was uh, uh one was I mean there's this this the topic was always front and center
0: uh okay sure
1: and 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 most I mean you know a fun evening for us was going to my dad's clinic okay. and hanging out and seeing all the sick people. Ah, I got you. W- waiting for him, right? Got you. So, and uh, while my brother and sister didn't mind that and they decided to follow my dad. Interesting. I definitely didn't want to do that. Sure.
0: Okay, so yeah. you've been to a ton of kind of university. Walk me through your kind of university journey and, and what did you end up taking and why?
1: So uh, uh, my first thing was uh, I, I did my computer science in uh, in uh, in Bangalore. Okay. And I I think one I wanted to run away from medicine and two <laughs> at a very uh, young age somebody gave me lent me a Commodore sixty four.
0: Okay, sure. Um,
1: so I had that for two months and I was really fascinated. I apart from playing games I started you know doing some basic programming and I I, I put them on these. Cassette tapes, and I tried to pedal them and sell them as a, as a, as a young guy. We must have been in my seventh or eighth grade,
0: and Interesting.
1: Uh, it yeah, it's. It, it, I mean, the Commodore sixty-four. I'm, I haven't got my hands on another one after that, but sure. it really that that two months really framed a lot in my career.
0: Interesting. Okay, so you went to university. What made you want to kind of go? into technology because you said the Commodore 64, but like, was there kind of a, was that the defining moment or was there something else that was like, okay, I got to take this in school?
1: Uh, so I think, I mean, uh, that was, I think one big defining moment. And okay. I used to, you know, when I got, my dad got me toys, like, you know, video games and stuff, sure. uh, I would, I would break them apart. I would try to understand how the whole thing worked. I was always fascinated, and you know, I would always break them. I could not put them back together, <laughs> and I had to hide them away. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, and then uh, in in, uh, in high school, I started uh, getting into electronics and building stuff and buying resistors and capacitors and making things. Really? So, yeah, technology was really fascinating for me, right? I mean, you—it was just a magic. You could put all these things together, and it would go do something that was amazing. Sure. Um so so uh when I was I mean I had to pick uh, going to college I really uh I mean I just wanted to go deeper into tech. Okay. And and uh, so once I graduated from uh from my undergrad uh I really wanted to go deeper so I said okay the, the best place I'm going to go is go to the US and go go do my masters in computer science because I wanted to go deeper, I wanted to get understand technology more and see how we could uh, leverage technology to build new products, right?
0: Okay, interesting. So
1: I landed up in uh, in Virginia Tech, uh, working okay. on um, uh, working on my masters. And Virginia Tech was uh, was very interesting, very different from the education I had uh, in in India. Okay, uh, everything was application oriented, it was very fascinating for me because in India I learned about theory, about the fundamentals of Computer science, and in Virginia Tech, you you actually had to apply—not what you have to really apply what you learned,
0: uh, okay—and
1: actually build practical stuff. Um, So, completely different dimension. And um, the other thing was, all the kids in my class were smart as hell. (laughs) Uh, So that's great, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of—it also recalibrated me that you know, I mean, in India, maybe I was in the top of my class when I come in here, I assumed I would just coast through the program. I was hell. It was really hell. I mean, it was uh, late nights and lots of hard work and people, the 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 other thing was, I think I learned a lot from my my classmates and the people I took uh, courses with. Um, they had different industry backgrounds and they, they brought uh, different perspectives. That was also new to me. Interesting. Uh, I was very fascinating. Okay. And, Keep going, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. so then I um, once I finished Virginia Tech, I said, okay hey i like I like uh, to be in in something that's more technical in research, so I ended up uh, joining a small company working on a on a DARPA research program, okay, and it was a good transition for a guy who loves technology and working on really uh, cool cool research uh, that uh, we we were this is the precursor to Virtualization and cloud computing. There was no cloud computing, so sure. so I worked on that for for a couple of years, and then I said, "Hey, this this technology is is very very interesting, and I am a smart engineer, so let me go start a company." Okay. <laughs> so I uh, packed my bags. I was in Virginia. I packed my bags. My wife uh, and I we just uh, moved to California.
0: Interesting. And
1: uh, yeah, so the first day I uh, uh, we were on we were living on. Uh, uh, in in Stanford. So the first day, I, uh, I decided I'm going to go buy groceries. I go down to Molly Stone, and I see uh, Steve Jobs. Seriously. Yes. Wow. That, it was just yeah. That's like okay. I said I've arrived. I've come to the. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. God is here, right? So uh, that is a very very uh, like no, defining moment. It was very interesting, and I guess that's, that that uh, explains my love for the Bay Area. Sure. <laughs> no, that's that's so, great,
0: man. Keep going, though. I'm I'm, I'm fascinated yeah. by this. That's great.
1: So, that, so I, I I started this company that we would, we would we will. This is the early days. There was no no virtualization or cloud. So we will uh, we built a platform to kind of dynamically manage resources in a data center. So, um, we called the company Musambi, and I had about uh, maybe maybe fifty k in savings. I said, look, okay, I'm going to take this fifty k and build this build this product okay. and I looked around and I, 50k doesn't go a long way in the Bay area. Sure. So I decided I'm going to go, go overseas. So I went back and I hired a team in India to build this. Okay, um, And uh, I mean, I had, uh, we built, we built a good product, but I'd never done anything to do with marketing. I had no clue how to do sales. So I got a couple of folks to help me hire a salesperson and get some angel money and, and, uh, we started getting a few customers. Uh, then we ran out of money and uh, luckily for me, one of my investors said, Hey, uh, don't worry. I've got a, I've got a guy who we've got a team that will buy you out. And, um, they, are with a company called net IQ. Okay. Uh, so they came in and they said they evaluated the technology and said, okay, we're going to take this. And, uh, they took this and I, I decided I'm going to move on. I'd spent three years on it and wanted to kind of take a break. So we like, we took the money and they they took the company and they uh basically ended up it ended up selling to bmc software after a few years
0: interesting okay so and uh,
1: so keep going yeah, sorry. sorry no no keep going yeah uh so the the, the big thing i learned in the three years uh, I, I did this was hey, you know there is another part to i mean. If you just build it, people just don't come come and buy it. There's another part to actually sure. creating a business more than more than a product. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I also learned. I mean, I learned the Valley is a is a very interesting ecosystem with a lot of really good people. Um, so uh, I uh, thought I'd i do another startup, but then um, uh, just felt I didn't have the energy, so I ended up with BMC Software doing product management uh, with a com- with a product called Remedy. Okay. Um and that, that that was really my first large company large enterprise experience and that was uh it really helped me understand uh, uh how how businesses think about technology how they perceive the value from technology and how it can be applied to to real functional needs. Okay.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: and then yeah, then I did uh, spent uh, spent uh, another year with uh, uh my my boss at BMC said, hey, I'm going to go to this uh, interesting company that's a turnaround, and uh, why don't you come in and help me with product management? I said, okay. And uh, so I went with him to Network General, which is a was a networking monitoring company that was uh, a, a private equity fund had uh, bought it out, and they wanted to grow the business and exit it. So uh, Rick and I went out there, and we it was a very really interesting year and a half for us to Turn around the business, grow it. Uh, we had to grow revenues by almost eighty percent. Wow! Uh, did that and yeah, and, and, and uh, the, the uh, private equity investors got an exit, and we decided uh, time to move on. Okay. Um, so I, I uh, then went to uh, I went to business school. I said uh, uh, needed to kind of hone my business skills a bit more. Okay. So I went to Stanford, and and that was uh, that's the third. Uh, third school I went to and but completely different. I mean, different paradigm. Sure. Um, again, I went in thinking I'm a smart guy. <laughs> and the first uh, two hours, I realized how low on the totem pole I was.
0: Wow. Um, Interesting. Did you yeah, go full time?
1: So, I did full time.
0: Okay, okay. Um,
1: and uh, no, keep yeah, going. So the, the, the cohort at, uh, at at the business school, I mean, the staff it was just unbelievable right i mean people from different parts of the world uh, different professions all extremely smart sure um and uh again the the, the academic experience in was so different uh, uh even more practical even more driven by um actual real life problems okay um a lot of learning from the people around you sure so I think it's not just about, I think it didn't just give me business skills, but it really altered my thinking. Uh, obviously, the entrepreneurial ecosystem around around Stanford and the, uh, the the whole motto about two big things, change lives, um, change the world at Stanford, is, is uh, really kind of got into my DNA.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Um, the scale of things became a lot more apparent. The scale of impact you can have on the world, the scale of, Impact uh, change you can actually create was what I really got out of Stanford. And the incredible people around And on there.
0: Interesting. So you get out of Stanford, what do you do next?
1: So I get out of Stanford, and the logical thing for me was my plan was the logical thing to do is go do another startup. Okay, sure. And yeah. So, but I I said okay, I'm gonna throw logic out, and I decided <laughs> to go join a hedge fund. Okay. Uh, I was I said yeah. Uh, so I said hey, I'm an analytical guy. I've got now I've gone to business school, so I should have the tools to go do some some damage in a different industry. So I, <laughs> I decided to go up to join a hedge fund, and the hedge fund was out of London, and they said hey, uh, we want to look at uh, India as a market. Okay. And so they said hey, you, you seem like a bright guy. Uh, pack your bags. Come on over, spend some time in India, and start start investing. Interesting. So, yeah, so I think it's a it was a it was a pretty radical shift for me. Uh, but it was very interesting because uh, I got to see uh, a different side of business. I got to see how investors think about companies um, and how do you evaluate uh, not just the financials but also understand people and understand how uh, how they make decisions, right? So uh, that was uh, really eye-opening and so I was doing that and then uh, uh, I, uh, I met a, a an old family friend and he said, hey, uh, I've just got a lot of money right now, so I want to set up a fund, can you come and join me? Interesting.
0: That's not a terrible yeah, thing so- to have happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I think uh, I, I didn't really check with my wife, so I said, hey, yeah, um, this is over Christmas. I said, okay, I can be, I can pack my bags and move back to India in a week. Wow. So, yeah, so then I had to go and then convince my wife and <laughs> said, this is a great opportunity, we got to do this, and I had to give her the whole uh, spiel about bricks and why India is a good market for us to be in and stuff like that. So. Sure. Uh, I moved to India, and, and uh, we set up this fund, and we started investing in multiple multiple uh, businesses and assets, uh, and that was a journey that was a, another interesting journey, so from there I had other family offices call me up and say, hey, we need help, can you come and help us uh, put an investment office together, and can you help us with making investments, so I said, uh, Sure, why not? And I I started helping families in India, in the Middle East, uh, kind of look at, especially look at uh, investments in tech, um, investments in VC funds. um, And uh, I spent about uh, three years doing that.
0: Okay, interesting. And
1: uh, yeah, that was fun. And uh, once, uh, and I said, after three years, I said, you know, uh, I'm getting a little old. I need to, I always wanted to do a nice large startup and take it public. So I said, okay, maybe it's time to quit what I'm doing and and go back into tech and into an operating role.
0: Interesting, okay. So is that when you you founded Ice Cream Labs?
1: That's when I founded Ice Cream Labs. Okay. So we, well, I I took about a year to kind of explore different options. Okay. And and the thing, what happened was, uh, I was looking at what are the interesting technologies, what what are the spaces that have big market opportunities. I thought clean tech was one big opportunity, and I thought uh, uh, AI and some applications of AI was was another good opportunity. Um, as a computer science uh, major, uh, AI is every—I mean, it's like every geek's dream. So <laughs> um, I said, "Okay, I'm going to go switch. I'm going to go go do something in in AI." And uh, we started by getting a small team together and building out. Basic capabilities, right? Really experimenting and trying to understand what are the things that we can do, what does it take to actually build out uh, algorithms, how do we train models um, with a focus on just like, you know, the first six months was just getting the lay of the land.
0: Okay, sure. Um,
1: and while we were doing this, we, 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 we saw a lot of interesting opportunities in, in media and in advertising, and uh, I actually ran into a, a um, my first customer uh, accidentally. So I, I met uh, met uh, somebody from senior up from a large retailer, and he said, hey, "You know what? All the stuff you're doing is really interesting for for us in retail. Okay. So come on over and let's talk about it." And uh, so I, I came down to um, San Francisco and I met with uh, their senior team, and um, they said, "Hey, you know what? I have a lot of problems. Why don't you they- take." first one and solve it and then you can you can build build a product out of it i said that's perfect i mean uh, great to have a a big customer but it's also great that they're willing to help us build out a product
0: sure so did they Um, give how we got started interesting no that's that's quite fascinating um so did they give you some money to build the first product or did you self-fund it
1: so we uh, we initially self-funded it, okay, and then we went back to them with a the solution and said, "Hey, here's uh, we're ready with a for a pilot," and they signed up.
0: Interesting. Okay, so before we kind of dive a bit deeper into this whole thing, Ice Cream Labs, how did you come up with the name? Yeah, I'm curious.
1: Uh, that that's an interesting backstory, Kevin. So. I was uh, struggling to come up with a cool name okay, uh, sure. and my, my, my philosophy was, you know, I don't have any marketing dollars. So I got to find a, find a name that uh, is a conversation starter. Uh, and uh, so I, I was struggling for days. And then my son who was about uh, nine years old at that time said, Hey, what are you, what are you struggling with? I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand. I said, okay, this <laughs> is what it is. And he said, he thinks, be cool. So he said, "Okay, I'll give you the name, but you've got to give me fifty percent of the profit." <laughs> so <laughs> I said, "Okay," because he doesn't know what profit is, right? So sure. I said, "Okay, yeah, sure, man, <laughs> yeah." So he actually uh, uh, used my credit card, blocked the domain name. He didn't tell me what it was, and then um, when I agreed to it, he gave me the domain name and and the name.
0: That's that's interesting. I, I guess I just yeah. like the space you were playing in. I thought it was just a play off that, but that's that's. That's actually quite fascinating how that came to be. Yeah. Cool, man. So I okay. bought
1: it from a guy who doesn't really know what profit is, so Got that's a backstory. <laughs> yeah,
0: That's awesome. So you, you build this first product, you go to them, you say, we have this solution. Walk me through kind of the rest of the journey and how it kind of unfolded to what Ice Cream Labs is now. Sure,
1: so this is, uh, uh, so about, it's taken us about a year and a half um i think we underestimated the the complexity of the technology and also the complexity of scaling the technology so uh we, we got the pilot and we 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 said oh this is a the pilot itself is quite challenging sure and uh we so since the pilot i think we started with uh, we we've scaled uh the platform to handle about maybe uh, about 50X the number of products since in the last year and a half. Okay. And it's been like drinking from a fire hose. So it's, it's uh, the enormity of the, the problem and the enormity of the opportunity really has kind of just seeped into us over the last year and a half. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so really fundamentally what we, what we do is we, we help retailers who are transforming into uh, really digital businesses uh, yeah, give them the ability to uh, uh, look at product data merchandising and category management in a completely new way okay. uh, so we enable them to optimize uh, identify and optimize problems with their product catalogs give them insights and control on managing these catalogs okay. um, help them do better merchandising um, and if you think about it, uh, what we do is we really look at the catalog and help retailers power their searches, so consumers can find their products faster. Okay. Uh, power power the product listing pages, so they can reduce and give enough information to consumers, so that uh, the the returns are lower and address issues like you no know, SEO, SEM. How do you optimize channels for that? And uh, so this is a lot, I mean, a lot of this is about how do you scale these these uh, solutions? Uh, typically, most people would employ like an army of uh, people uh, offshore. Sure. Uh, uh, in the thousands, and, and managing these offshore armies are tough, it's uh, not scalable, and it's expensive. Yeah. What we're able to do is, I mean, we can, we can process a million products a day today. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that, at that scale, it's really tough to employ a human workforce to do this. Sure. Right, and and uh, the the good thing about I mean the way the way we think about AI, Kevin, is um, AI is not about replacing humans, but it's really about uh, increasing the productivity of of humans. Sure. So we're we we enable. Um, rather than have a managing army of, I don't know, a thousand uh, people offshore, uh, same category managers, merchandising, merchandising managers can use our technology and self-manage it. Okay. So, for so, them, so it increases their productivity.
0: Okay, so how do they use your technology to kind of do that?
1: Okay. Sure. So, so for a, from a large retailer's perspective, what we enable, Category managers to do is as they're getting a floodgate of uh, of data coming in from multiple sellers and multiple suppliers. Okay. We help them actually identify the quality of the data. We give them a quality score of the data. Oh, interesting. And and so when you look at when we think about uh, quality, we are really talking about the quality of the content. Okay. Um. So if if I get data about a, a shirt. And it says it's a red shirt. We validate that it's actually a red shirt by looking at the image and looking at the text. Right. Um, and if uh, if, uh, if if we look, we look at the titles and we say, is the title optimized so that the consumer can actually get maximum value out of it and actually click and buy that product? Is it most appropriate for a consumer to understand what the product is and buy it? Um, we make sure that. Um, the description around around the product is complete um, and it's it's informative enough. At the same time, it's it's something that the consumer can read and understand about the product. Um, a lot of the stuff is also around understanding images and extracting information from images. It could be attributes of the product. It could be what type of product it is. It could be around what are the uh, uh, things like if it's a nutrition label, we actually extract the nutrition information of sort of food product, and make that all available so that people can search for these products easily, they can actually browse through these products, and they can make better buying decisions.
0: Interesting. So so when you say search through these products, like how do they, is that just their online shopping experience, or that's in store as
1: well? So right now we're focused on the online, but more and more, our, the retailers that we're working with, they're using the same data to power offline sure. store searches too.
0: Sure, yeah. because I, I think like, not saying what your, your technology is doing, like online, isn't like extremely cool. It's just, I think some of the biggest next tech revolution is actually bringing some of this online technology into the physical store as I'm in a store, because I don't always order everything online, at least not yet anyway, right? Exactly
1: exactly interesting and and, uh, and if you think about uh i mean the the, the benefit of uh, offline experience is really the uh, the browsability of products right you have a, a much vi- more uh, much larger visual scope you can see a lot more products you can you can discover products a lot easier and uh while you're discovering if you want to find more information or you want to uh, get uh, get similar products uh, you can actually take the online content and, and and enable the consumer at that point.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you say, at least on your website, you you fill any kind of product gaps. Um, so how does that kind of work? Like basically if I only stock three products of something, but you, you guys could recommend another couple products that I could stock that would potentially you know, sell more in that category? Is that kind of how that works?
1: Yeah, so so uh, uh, what we do is we enable category managers to kind of get a better sense of the category marketplace. Okay. Help them identify how they can compete better, uh, identify gaps in the product offering, uh, and recommend how they can fill those gaps. And typically, right, I mean, it's not about, uh, hey, I don't have, uh, let's say I'm a, category managers for sports shoes okay. it's typically they do they do carry most of the popular brands but what are the variants of the brands are, are they missing uh, okay. or maybe are they right yeah so uh, am i missing a red color men's running
0: gotcha. while all my
1: competitors are carrying it uh so these are really enabling these category managers to identify See, they're they're all driven by their pml and growth and revenue and how can we enable them to increase their GMP or their revenue, that's the whole goal. I got so you. We do that by really identify the gaps and identifying new opportunities for them.
0: Okay, so who's your ideal kind of customer then, or is it a specific vertical, or does it not really matter?
1: Uh, so right now we, we focus on three verticals within retail. Okay. The home and furnishing space, uh, the food and grocery space and uh, uh, fashion okay and fashion.
0: So. interesting so is there any specific reason that you pick kind of those three verticals they they're huge verticals there's obviously more than enough clients in those verticals to build a whole business around
1: sure uh, I we felt that uh, these these three verticals I think have uh, have the most pain points and okay. also seeing the most growth Um and the growth is what we can help our customers manage. Okay. We can help them scale uh, pretty dramatically in all these three segments.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: So y- I, I,
0: go ahead, sorry. Sorry,
1: go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say so the thing is I think the big big uh, new dimension to all of this like Kevin is if you think about traditional retail and and I'll say digital retail because it's not just e-commerce, it's e-commerce it's the mobile app it's the store pickup. All of this. The big transformation we're seeing is is retailers and brands are scaling their product offering dramatically. Okay. The space constraints are gone. The shelf constraints are gone. So everybody is talking about endless aisles. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. From from hundreds, thousands of products or tens of thousands of products, they're all talking about millions of products now. Right. Right. So that's that's the the big big uh, shift, and that's one of the big areas that we help our customers okay. manage.
0: Interesting. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So I I, I want to talk about kind of the AI, machine learning, kind of computer vision side of the business because I think sure. that that's that's probably the most fascinating parts of it to me anyway.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so the, um, the big thing I think is, I mean, f- from, from a technology perspective, uh, we, we rely a lot on, on deep learning. Um, and deep learning okay. is a, is a, is a type of machine learning. Uh, the big difference is I think you apply a lot more data, Okay. um, to the, to train the models and uh, the models tend to perform a lot better because you're, you're, it's seeing a lot more data, so it's able to make predictions at, at a much more granular level. Um, so on the on the AI side, so we, um, all our models, I mean, we have, we have prediction models, we have generative models. Um, the prediction models typically is like uh, you, you take a repetitive cognitive task and you train a machine to do that repetitive cognitive task okay it's it's like you know if you think about it the simplest an- analogy is um you know when you when you a child is uh, you know i teach a child what a chair is i show show the child 10 chairs mm-hmm. and then when i show the child 11 chairs she will automatically call it a chair right, right? that's uh right? It's a nice cognitive uh a function that uh we can we can train the child to do and, and uh deep learning and machine learning is the same. And when you want to make the machine predict stuff, you give it a a few hundred images of a chair. And the next time it learns, what are the characteristics of a chair? And then it's easily able to predict that it's a chair.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: And, and the, the, the new set of models, I mean, there's a lot of very exciting stuff happening. Uh, the the, the thing is, I think, tech, especially machine learning, the technology is evolving uh, so rapidly. Uh, we, I've seen it in the last year and a half. I think uh, we've, there's been a leapfrog in technology. And literally every month, there is something new sure. happening. But we're st- I still think we're still scratching the surface. There's a lot more to go, There's a lot more to do. Interesting. So what so, are you so
0: the, No, keep sorry. going, sorry. No, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so, so I was going to talk about so the other other part of our uh, our, our models we we do a lot of uh, generative networks. So generative networks are uh, basically uh, training models to uh, learn from something and predict uh, a new thing. Um, so I can I, we train models to learn certain writing styles and oh, then we can start writing new kinds of text.
0: Oh wow. That's actually really fascinating.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. And and it's still uh, I think early I, I don't think we can get a machine to write a book, but we can we can get the machine to uh have some coherent uh, uh product descriptions and stuff like that that's relatively easy. They they're creating product titles and product descriptions uh, and that are varied across the products. Um we can even train the networks to do learn different writing styles. Like I can say, give me this in Shakespearean style, or I can say, give give me this in, I don't know, millennial style, and it, it can differentiate and create new, new content based on that.
0: Interesting. So this is probably kind of a bit of a wild question then. Can you, are you doing that just in English? Or are you gonna do that in other languages at some point? Because I think that in itself is really, really powerful, right? Like if a computer can generate text or, or descriptions or titles in any language that's huge
1: it's true that that is that is part of our roadmap that, interesting that's where we want to go and, and yeah and, well, uh, language I mean language translation and also writing styles right I mean localizing it the writing style sure. of that region or, yeah
0: yeah that's wow that's actually really fascinating so walk me through some of the other kind of ai stuff that you guys are doing like are you actually putting i don't know like a a, a chair or a couch in a, my digital living room is is that kind of the stuff you're doing or, or how, what are you guys doing in there
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good thing so part of uh, what uh, some of the new new products that we're doing is how do we um, uh, create new consumer shopping experiences right sure. and uh we and this is something that uh this is near and dear to me because i've just i've just started remodeling my home okay, and I thought this should be such an easy process it's <laughs> been three months sure and I have given up i I've, I've literally given up i have just told my wife, please go handle this because I realized <laughs> i mean it's there's a there's a gap between the analytical and the creative process So yep. okay can we can can we create experiences for people to not get frustrated, but really get engaged in in doing this. And we've identified these gaps, and we said, okay, so so what we're doing is we're saying, how can we solve the the home redecoration problem better? Uh, and for me, I said, I'm not going to go to a store and, and say, I like this couch, I like this lamp, and I like these these rugs, and I'm going to I'm not going to put those together and buy them. I'll, I'll rely on somebody else to create these designs or these collections for me. Sure, and then uh like you know, maybe it's a, it's a uh, i go to a, a macy's uh furniture store i go to an ikea and the buying experience there is i really looking at i'm looking at the holistic living room and the holistic picture and uh, then i'll say i'll try to superpose that into my living room and say hey i like it and i'll buy it Yep. so we're trying to recreate that experience in a, in a digital world interesting and uh and there's so technology has also evolved rapidly for us to actually start doing some of these things, especially with uh, AR uh, being available on all the phones now. Um, we're able to uh, understand consumers and then give them these experiences of of virtually putting a collection to the room that, that meets their uh, preferences, right? And so right. understanding them and giving them what they like. And if they don't like the couch, they can they can literally swipe left or right and get a, uh, a new digital couch until they get the perfect look that they like. Sure, That's personalized for them.
0: No, that's that's actually quite fascinating because I think part of the problem with buying anything for your home is you see it in a store and it looks bigger or smaller or, or maybe the right size, kind of fluke luck, um, but actually when you get it home and you're like, oh, it's not quite right, right? And I know some people just deal with that, but some people that really drives them crazy. But if I can see kind of like, okay, here's my couch and then here's my lamp and here's the new coffee table and it all kind of, you know, is proportionally accurate online and I just hit order that to me. And I think a lot of, a lot more people are like that, right? Because it's, it's a struggle or especially if you get something custom made, like you can't take it back. Exactly. Exactly, Yeah,
1: yeah. And and the other thing is, you know, for for design challenge, people like me, um, I I I mean, accessing an interior designer is not easy. So what we're we're trying to do is, how can we have uh, a limited resource like interior designers
0: sure.
1: uh, provide their creative, uh, uh, I guess, creative expertise to a larger number of people, and we can still connect consumers to a uh, uh, interior designer who can put these uh, creative pieces together uh, and the AI will
0: help them actually reach out to a larger number of people interesting you could crowdsource it almost or you could interior exactly. design source it right like buy yeah. a handful of them like yeah, I yeah. upload a photo of my living yeah. room in- interesting yeah that's crazy cool and actually
1: so we want to do the same thing in the fashion side. So, sure. I mean, I'm terrible at at picking clothes. Me too. Uh, I have blues and brown.
0: <laughs> Mine's just
1: black. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're a little more creative than I am. So, I, I mean, I want a, I want a, uh, somebody to help me with my, uh, my, my clothes, and I don't have access to a personal stylist that easily. Sure. So, but can I, can I crowdsource it, and can I and use AI to actually not only understand Madhu's taste, but also create these uh, these uh, looks for Madhu. Um, sure. And that's a, that's a similar thing I want to do in the fashion
0: space. Interesting. I suppose, hey, like that's, a, and then you could also automatically start recommending stuff to me. You could also say yeah, like, yes. okay, I, well, I, I don't know, hypothetically, I could say I have this event in a month or a week or two months, and I need something, you know, either casual or formal or whatever. And you could recommend yep. things based on kind of my body type and my style and kind of what you think I would like, and then just either share it with me through email or, or some other way, or you could just automatically just send it to me. And I could even set a budget, say, I give you $1,000 a quarter or something to send me new clothes. Hypothetically, right? Like
1: Yes, exactly. Interesting.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's fascinating to me.
1: So, so I think, I mean, uh, part of the advantage of, I mean, having worked with large retailers, we've been able to um, uh, literally train our models on, on a large variety of products. So, so we've got so much depth. Um, a big part of AI is really having access to a lot of data, and that's one sure. of the things that we've been, been lucky with. Um, so our models are really, have seen lots of data, and so understand. Technically, I mean, our models understand a lot about products that are being sold in the world
0: they sure. know a lot
1: of things about what colors they come in what sizes they come in um, what are the variants uh, so you can then take these models and then start applying it to kind of new new applications
0: interesting and then based on once you know a profile about say me hypothetically you could start recommending other things based on similar people that have bought and then on top of that you could basically well, this is maybe a bad example but um I, I live up in canada and so sometimes like the obviously we're not like a big fashion well the city i live in isn't a big fashion hub of canada um and okay or or the world i like by whatever right but yeah. you know and sometimes like when i go to la i'll buy a bunch of clothes down in la and then it's funny because six or nine months later you start seeing the same clothes here so like you okay. could basically say okay well kevin likes these brands or these styles and he buys from these stores online or whatever doesn't matter and then you could ship me clothes from potentially anywhere on the globe because i like those styles right because i think some people are fine wearing, you know, the same t-shirt that, you know, that their favorite store sells in town and a thousand other people have it, or there's some people that are even willing to pay a bit of a premium to get clothes from other parts of the world without actually going to those parts of the world, right? Because obviously it's cheaper to spend a couple extra dollars on a t-shirt than it is to, you know, fly to London to buy the latest kind of t-shirt collection. I I
1: don't know. Exactly. It's... Yeah, I mean, that's that's a. That's a good thing, I think, I mean, you're also seeing that, I mean, so there's, uh, I mean, e-commerce is really enabling um, access across markets, right, I mean, it's accessibility. You you may be getting, I may be getting a product from New York today, but I may be able to get a product from London or Shanghai next year as easily.
0: Yeah, interesting, or I'm willing to wait, right, like if it's like a four-week or six-week shipment, who cares? Yeah. Because it's gonna be yeah. summer in four or six weeks, and I don't need that T-shirt when it's springtime. I don't know. Maybe that's a overgeneralization, yeah. but you know what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, and it's it's happening. I think it's uh it's happening in terms of uh, uh I mean the 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 world is getting flatter because of access to products across all sure. these markets. Sure, yeah,
0: yeah it, it is interesting how you can get things printed for example like uh like business cards i don't know maybe this is a bad example but yeah. like business cards that literally will come from china like overnight but i can't yeah. even ship something from america into canada overnight with pay without paying like a crazy amount of uh you know f- overnight kind of just border import fees right so it, like yeah. geographically it doesn't make any sense obviously it's like a issue with kind of just how we have kind of bartered trade. But it just kind of fascinates me how I can, lots of times, I can get something faster from China to Canada than I can from America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, it, yeah, that's true. Right. But I also think that, like, yeah. it, it's kind of fascinating because I think e commerce, like you guys are working in, is getting rid of those geographical borders, right? Like, do I really care yeah. if, if that shirt comes directly from China, America, or some other country? Like, who cares?
1: Exactly. I, I, I think uh, the logistics is making it more efficient. It's also, I think companies have become smarter. They have um, enough adequate data. I mean, there are regulatory issues, so they have enough data to actually go through these hurdles and, and handle these issues faster. So handle sure. customs in Canada or handle customs in China or handle customs in India. Uh, the regulatory requirements for these customs, those are things that are getting easier and easier and people are, are able to get products across faster.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually really fascinating. So I'm curious then, where do you guys kind of go from here with this stuff? Do you... Do you work on more of the software side? Do you work on kind of more of the hardware software side? Or do you bring it kind of more into the store? Because I could see a lot of, you know, relevant stuff that as I'm in a department store, for example, if if I allow it, you could potentially guide me through my whole shopping experience in a store based on, you know, the data you know about me. Like if I'm willing to say... I'm in Macy's, for example, and I say, like, mm-hmm. okay, allow me a digital personal shopper. You guys could basically say, okay, go over, walk over here and pick out this outfit or pick out this shirt and then go over here and get these pants. And these will, like, match your style and what you're looking for based on some data that I provided you. Like, could you guys do something like that?
1: So that those are the things that we're uh, driving Word. so okay. how do we create uh uh these i mean d- digital ass- assistants that are ai powered sure um, that can solve specific problems right i mean uh, not not a city but but something uh something more uh, uh more I maybe mean, maybe solving a fashion problem or a home design problem or a food food the uh, uh, cooking what I, what do i want to cook for the evening and what are my dietary needs and then can I, can I have a digital assistant help you put that together? Sure, interesting. Yeah, because, so,
0: okay, keep going, sorry.
1: Yeah, so those are the things, I think, I mean, so we, we chose these three segments because we think there's a lot of potential to, uh, I mean, leverage AI, kind of leverage the crowd to do more, really, really enhance the experiences for, for customers, right? And all of these are really driven by, by our own needs. Uh, sure. My fashion, my lack of fashion friends or my design challenge at home, or if I want to eat a low carb diet, I've got to go look at every label and figure out what's in there, and yeah. then actually craft a recipe, and then got to figure out. So, how do we connect, kind of, kind of connect the dots and kind of create experiences so our life becomes easier? Sure,
0: but you could also basically say based on my fashion sense, you could probably recommend furniture. And based on my furniture sense, you could probably recommend fashion. And you could probably take a pretty good educated guess based on my dietary restrictions or or how I like to eat, maybe based on some of that stuff. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's fair to say. I think we're not there yet. Sure. But that's something maybe we can get towards, yeah, in the future.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's quite fascinating. So... I, I'm curious then at, at this point in your kind of journey, how does somebody kind of actually work with ice cream labs and, and get your technology into their software or their, their company?
1: Um, pretty easy. They can just uh, reach out to us and, uh, uh, at, at, uh connect at ice cream Uh, they can visit our website. Uh, and, uh, We've, I mean, we've been uh, doing a couple of shows, and there's just uh, uh, enormous interest from most of the most of the retailers and sellers and brands, and we're really excited about uh, all the the, the the problems we can solve. Uh, so um, this is exciting times. I think the, the 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 retail transformation is is amazing, and we're we're happy to be playing a small part in it.
0: Sure, and and so how long would it take if I had a you know. Uh, t-shirt company or a furniture company online how long does it kind of traditionally take to integrate your software into my you know kind of online presence
1: uh we typically i think i mean depending on the size of the customer it takes anywhere between uh it could take a few hours to a few days
0: oh so very quick
1: yeah very quick Okay. Wow. So I mean, we, we our customers can start seeing results in you know a couple of hours once they wow. once they yeah we're tying the data.
0: So is there kind of like a ideal customer size for you? Like do they they need to be selling you know um, I don't know like a million dollars worth of product, two hundred fifty thousand thousand dollars worth of product? Like obviously the more data the better, but. Is there kind of an ideal yeah. range that somebody kind of should get to before they kind of reach out to you guys to integrate your software, or it doesn't really matter? Uh,
1: so right now, what 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 we're focused on is uh, it's just I think uh, looking at the maturity curve from a digital perspective. So we're focused on uh, mid to large okay. retailers and and brands, and uh, we hope to uh, later in the year launch a completely self serve model for smaller retailers and brands can actually plug in and use it themselves very easily got you
0: yeah i I guess like that's part of the problem when you're first starting out is you don't have the data to really provide you know like some of the insights right so that's that's potentially like a huge challenge from from any company's side right
1: correct
0: yeah okay fascinating so i'm i'm curious we're kind of coming to the end of the show so is there anything else that you want to mention about Ice Cream Labs that, you know, we didn't cover yet?
1: So I think one of the the, the big things is uh, this is a, when we look at when I'm looking at innovating, I mean, innovating using technology is a, is a big piece. Uh, the other piece is really we're, we're, we're building products across the globe. We have a very distributed team, and this is very unusual for Startups—they all startups tend to want everybody in the same room, sure. uh, working together, and so that is—it's um, part of—it's it's a big learning for me. Is I mean, one of the things we decided to do is talent is extremely difficult in our space, sure. so we said rather than try to get all the talent into one room, we'll just go to where the talent is. Makes sense. And so we have uh, we have uh, uh, people in Spain, we have a, a person in Singapore, we have a team in. Bangalore we have team in San Francisco we have somebody in um uh, in uh, Tahoe so and it it's it takes a little bit of infrastructure to get all of this working sure uh some sleepless sleepless nights for me but uh <laughs> I'm glad because I think people are happy where they are sure. me transplanting and trying to get people into one place actually wouldn't have worked Interesting. i'm happier to have a happy workforce and people who are excited uh to be where they are and and being productive. Uh, so that's that's one, I think that's been a big thing for us is let's just go to where the talent is. Sure, uh, And I see that that's just uh, working well for us.
0: No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And And well, retail, especially kind of online, works a little bit different in different parts of the world, so getting different perspectives makes a lot of sense anyway, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, interesting. And, and everybody is a customer. All of us are customers, uh, are consumers, right? So we right. all have retail experience. Yeah.
0: Of course, yeah. No, that makes sense. So we're, we're at the end of the show. So let's mention where people can get more information about you guys again and uh, any other kind of links you want to mention?
1: Yeah, so they, they can look us up on, on the web. Uh, we're at icecreamlabs.com. Uh, you can send us an email at connect at com. Uh, you can look us up on LinkedIn. We're uh, at linkedin.com slash ice cream labs. Uh, we're on Twitter also at Ice, ice Labs, and, and uh, I'm actually not, not uh, sure where, where we are on Facebook, but sure. I'm sure we are on Facebook. Uh,
0: yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, and People can just search for it on Facebook and they find you.
1: Yeah. Um, all
0: right, well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and look forward to having, to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day.
1: Thanks.
0: Thanks, Kevin. Wonderful talking to you. Thanks, man. You as well. Okay.
1: Bye. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the
1: future.